All right, and uh, let's just kind of try this on and see how it feels. He is risen. He is risen. You guys are, that is not too bad. I have to say, uh, when, I, when I would teach uh, Bible college students, I would be like, he is risen. They'd be like, yeah, he sure has, hasn't he, you know? And uh, I'm like, you guys are just showing that you didn't grow up in a traditional church like I did. So for those of you that this is a new thing, uh, it, it's only allowed on Easter. You can't get away with it any other time of year. But, you, but I say he is risen, and you respond back, he is risen indeed, okay? So let's do it again. He is risen. I love it. It is just the, the best, most profound truth, and it also is just a delight to like say that with all of you guys. Um, this is good for my soul. It's good to gather. It feels like a family reunion to me um, every time we do this at Easter, and it's just it's a lovely, lovely time to be together. I'm, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, we're going to open the Word of God together. But first, before we do that, I'm going to take you to my childhood, okay, which is a pretty nice place to be overall, okay? Very cozy, very happy, um, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, but there's a couple of episodes that, are, that were a little tougher for me to get through. So I'm going to be vulnerable here. When I was a kid, and I was, uh, it was the Christmas with some cousins. Um, so I had two boy cousins, and it was the Christmas that we were pretty sure was going to be the, the, the Big Wheels Christmas, okay? So Big Wheels, if you remember, are like the tricycle, but it's plastic, and it's like a low rider. So you feel like you're riding a motorcycle, not the power wheels. Those kind of existed at the time, but it was a total rich kid toy at the time. So for us, we were hoping for the big wheels. And so we're there at Grandma and Grandpa's house, me and my uh, boy cousins. And, um, and then, you know, Christmas morning comes, and uh, my cousins are a little older than me, so they get to open first. And, um, dude, big wheels. And they were, they were like sweet deep blue with black, like total James Bond looking things. Looks like you could mount guns on the front of them or something. Just like they were awesome. So I'm like, okay, please, please, my parents don't have let me down on this, right? So I go and I, uh, my, my big wheel gets unveiled. It is indeed a big wheel, but it's like a lighter color blue, like more of like a sky blue and, um, and kind of yellow also. And, um, <laughs> and that thing... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that thing had a, a, a lot, a lot, a lot of Care Bear stickers all over it. <clears throat> and, uh, and my parents and I, we did a good job of trying to get all the Care Bear stickers off, except for that one little heart sticker under the pedal that you can see down there. Um, so I'm sure what happened is they went to the you know, Toys R Us, and there's like three left. Oh my gosh, we got them. One of them's a Care Bear. Well, you can't make the brothers fight over who gets the, you know, so let's give it to Mark, and he's a soft, sensitive kid anyways. He'll be happy with it. But you can see on my face, uh, that, that is a face of a young man who's just discovered that life can be very disappointing, right? Um, Life was never the same for me since then, and there's a lot of explanatory power, I think, in just that picture. Um, for us, as we, as we uh, go through, right, that, that is, of course, like the beginning of my really tough, tough existence in, in my really difficult life that I've had up to now. Um, but I do feel like the last couple of years, and probably for a long time before that, um, life has been actually pretty rough and kind of disillusioning, right? There's disappointment is in the air and has been in the air. Um, a few stats. So there was, uh, so Barna is always doing this research on different things. And Barna found that um, this last year, 2021, 38% of pastors have um, seriously considered stepping down, quitting from their job. Don't worry, I'm one of the, whatever that is, 62%. I, I have never once given that a thought, but that's, that's tough. They found that in the, in the black church, pastors of black churches, 75% have given serious thought to stepping down, right? It's a hard time. It's, it's a hard thing. There's been a lot of disappointment, a lot of heartache, um, a lot of pressure. 
Um, they say that a, a third of churchgoers, people that are regular churchgoers, um, haven't, haven't stepped back into church. Maybe Easter Sunday changes that, I don't know, but a third, right? Which just means, um, which isn't like any kind of uh, condemnation or anything, right? What, it, what I think it shows is that the, the pandemic and all this stuff has given us an opportunity to kind of evaluate and kind of weigh, what am I actually doing with my time? Did this actually matter to me or have I been sort of disappointed with what my church experience has been like? Um, we know, like our church family here is made up of a bunch of people that have been around Creekside for a long time and a bunch of people that have been around Creekside for a short time. And, and that's the case of every church that I know. There's been a lot of um, reconfiguring priorities and I believe God's in that, right? God's creating these new families and he's making us more with all the other churches like cousins and all this kind of stuff. I think it is a beautiful thing. Um, but it shows there's this kind of... Um, emptiness or this, this, um, this weighing disappointment that we've all had to wrestle with and say, what really matters? Am I getting out of this what I wanted to? And it's not just uh, church stuff, okay? It's also, um, they say that 55% of people have looked for a new job in the last year. 55%, that's a lot of you guys and all of us that have been sort of um, disillusioned with what's going on. Dis disappointment has become um, a major thing in life. Maybe we got our hopes up a little too high. I'm not sure what happened. Um, maybe it's just a chance to reflect that there's all this disappointment rolling. And if we could step back way further ago than my childhood, go back to 33 AD when um, Jesus died. And right before this moment on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, right before, let's just take even five minutes before Jesus walked out of that tomb, disappointment was heavy in the air at that time and had been for generations, like generation after generation, this disappointment that people feel with their existence, with their religious lives, with what God's doing, with how God's not answering. There's all this weight and this heaviness and this emptiness in the whole thing. And of course, Easter changes that. Jesus raising from the dead changes all that. Um, but it starts at this place of heaviness. And where I want to start this morning and looking at the word of God is um, right here in John chapter 19. These are the last words that Jesus spoke before he died. So he's there on the cross. He's being crucified with a couple of common criminals. He's been rejected by the religious community and by the, the society as a whole. He's been rejected. He's hanging there on the cross. And Jesus, just moments before um, he breathed his last and gave up his spirit, he says, it is finished. And it's hard to imagine what it would have been like for the disciples to have followed Jesus, to see all the things he was capable of, healing, this profound teaching, um, um, caring for people that were traditionally marginalized and oppressed and cast out. They're following Jesus. They're seeing him do all these amazing things. They've even seen him raise the dead. And Jesus then on the cross and he's dying. And his last words are, it is finished. And that's it. Silence for the rest of Friday night. Silence for all day on Saturday. Silence in the morning on Sunday until the moment that he rises again. But they're left with these words of Jesus ringing out. It is finished, right? And they're left to kind of ponder and wonder, what does that actually mean? What does it mean that it is finished, right? Is it just, he's like, okay, I did my best and it's finished, right? I, I did everything I could and here I am at the end of it all. That's it. It's over. It's finished, right? Or is there something more significant? Obviously, we know something way more significant than that when Jesus says it is finished. It's actually kind of a theme in the Bible. So if we go all the way back to Revelation, to the very beginning, God is speaking words um, to create the world around us. So God simply speaks words and creation responds and just springs into being. And God creates the, the land and the water and the animals and the birds and all these things. God creates it. And then it says that on the seventh day, he rested, right? He finished it all. He said, it's very good. And then he rested, right? It was finished and he rested. 
If we move forward ahead to the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus, in dying on the cross, he offered himself as a sacrifice. He made purifications for sins, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He rested from all of his work. It was finished, and he rested in that sense. And so Jesus, in the middle of that, is on the cross, and he's saying, it's finished. Everything that he came to do, everything that he came to accomplish, all the ways that he was, he was summing up and, and embodying the hopes uh, and dreams of humanity, right? All of it he's saying, now he has died and it is finished. There's forgiveness of sins. There is this uh, cleansing that we have, right? Um, there's new hope and new life. There is uh, this life that he offers. He, ta- he talked about the night before he died in John 15. He talked about how he was a vine giving life to the branches and we're going to be these branches. All of that was finished, accomplished when Jesus died on the cross. The problem for us is I think we don't truly believe that. Like I, I say it, I say it, it's finished. And we can say, yes, Jesus paid it all, right? Um, it's finished, he did it all. And we might believe that, you might agree with me, you might resonate with that. But I would say that deep down inside of each of us, there's this sense in which we don't always believe it, right? Like there's some doubts that we have. There's, there might be some more things that we feel like we need to accomplish. And there's these thoughts and these questions that come back uh, year after year, week after week, day after day, that kind of are unwanted. Just because you don't want something doesn't mean it doesn't come back. And man, I mean, we see that all the time at this time of year, right? Things that we don't want that just come back, right? You go into the grocery store, and what do you see everywhere? It's the peeps. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Nobody's eating the peeps, okay? Nobody wants them. They have no place in this market because they're, uh, we're health conscious or whatever. But you go, and there they are, whether you want them there or not. Like, some of you guys are eating them, apparently, and eating a lot of them because I... <laughs> I don't even going to ask for a show of hands. They, 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 come, they come, I mean, I'm not like worried about what I put into my body, okay? Like as you can see, I don't, I don't care. Um, but peeps are just, they're, they're bizarre. So they, doesn't matter if you want them. doesn't matter if you've invited, it just keeps, and I feel like our, our, on a much more serious level, um, our thoughts deep down, like these things that we wrestle with, that we, we can believe, like Jesus is who he says, is, I believe that it's finished, right, in him. Um, and yet unwanted, uninvited come these thoughts, doubts, questions that we have about maybe, maybe there's more that I should have done, right? Maybe I should be like a holier type of a person than I am right now, right? We think maybe I should have accomplished more by this point in my life. Maybe I should be embodying a little more significance than I do in my life right now. Maybe I'm sinning too much, right? Um, Maybe I'm wandering too much. We have these thoughts that come back and we can see, we can believe theologically, yes, Jesus paid it all, but we wrestle with these thoughts and these questions. And I think it often, it comes out in our striving, the things that we work the hardest for, right? We're striving for significance. We're striving for accomplishment. We're striving to get the guilt off of our backs. In any of these areas, the places where we're the most stressed out and we find ourselves just spinning our wheels, I feel like at the bottom of all of that is this reality, this place where we feel like it's not finished here. There's something left to be finished and I've got to keep working in this area. My invitation for us this morning is to take Jesus' words seriously. When he died on that cross and the last words that he said were, it is finished, my hope is that we can actually believe that. That there's no more atoning that has to be done. There's no more shedding of guilt. Like, it, ha- it is finished. It is done. We belong to him. He claims us. And, and see, the, the cross was the statement of that. Jesus said it on the cross. He said it out loud. It's finished. He told us that. The resurrection then was the confirmation 
that, that yes, indeed, it was finished. He's alive again. He's conquered even death. The payment was sufficient. Yes, it is done. That confirmation of the fact is what Jesus did in the resurrection. Years ago, like, year, like I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that, um, I was teaching at this Bible college, like I said, and um, I used to do my taxes on TurboTax back then, okay? And I had this, like, huge unwarranted confidence in my ability for this computer program to guide me through the whole thing. And so after, you know, a couple months afterwards, um, got a letter from the IRS in the mail saying that I owed $10,000 to the IRS, I've never been the kind of guy that has $10,000 lying around that can be designated to the IRS at a moment's notice. And what it actually was, was it was like $5,000 they said that I owed them, and then of course $5,000 of interest that had accrued in like those two months, you know, just before the letter even got to me. Don't get me started. Sorry if any of you work for the <laughs> franchise. Some of you are still preparing taxes right now and I'm triggering something. I'm sorry, you've got a couple days left. You're almost there. Um, so my first thought was, oh my goodness, what a huge mistake. Um, this is preposterous. I'll get this sorted out. And then did a little digging and found out that I did indeed owe them $5,000. I had done this like side writing project. And, um, and I swear to you that I claimed it in my taxes. I put it into that box on the computer screen. And, um, but somehow in the end, it didn't come out, right? It didn't stick in that box. And um, so I'm sitting here you know, you can't even talk to the IRS. They don't return your phone calls or whatever. But when I was able to communicate with them, told them, I promise that I put the amount in the box. I claimed it. I just didn't check and see the confirmation at the end. Of course, they didn't believe that. And um, it's fine. Got it all taken care of. And people say that you can live a long life after donating a kidney. So it's totally fine. <laughs> um, but that, this is what it's like. We need that confirmation that the thing actually went through, right? And that's what I was missing. And with Jesus, that is what it is. He says it is finished. Those are his verbal words. He lets us know, alerts us, it's done. I'm telling you right now. But nobody really knew for sure until Easter Sunday when those women came to the tomb and they found the tomb empty and they're told by their Savior that he's alive again, right? That he is alive and he lives forevermore and death no longer has its sting. All those things are this affirmation. And what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is just look at this one beautiful verse in the book of Galatians where Paul takes that and this is his perspective on what Christ did. So he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is a profound truth. So Paul is saying, yes, Jesus died and Jesus said it's finished. And Paul's saying, takes that statement of external truth and he says, yeah, Jesus died, but I'm saying like I have been crucified with Christ. Jesus died, but somehow I find in the death of Jesus that I've participated in that somehow. And so I myself have been crucified with Christ. I'm not living anymore. It's now Christ who's living in me. I mean, what a profound and crazy and kind of confusing statement that he makes. It is this beautiful picture of participating in it. When Jesus died, he's saying, it was the end of me as well, right? When Jesus went into that tomb, it was like I went with him and found that myself, I was overwhelmed by who he is. And man, if that sounds awful, the idea of dying with Christ, if that sounds really awful to you, then probably you're really getting what Paul is getting at. Right? If, it, if it doesn't sound scary, we're probably not understanding what he's saying well enough. But if you can find some life on the other end of that. I've died with Christ. It's finished in him. I've died with him. And there's still all this life to be had. Then I think you're starting to see the importance of what Paul is getting at as he talks. And he, he describes all these things. Stanley Hauerwas is a um, theologian, philosopher. And he, 
he says this. He's reflecting on Jesus' statement, it is finished. And he basically says this. He says, it is finished, but it's not over. And I love that. It's finished and it's not over. We, we are the ones that prove that it is finished because Jesus died, right? All of our sins are forgiven. We are what is finished in Christ, right? Our sins have been forgiven. We're made whole and cleansed and redeemed and all these kinds of things. It's finished, but also we are evidence that it is not over because God is still working in this world and Jesus came back from the grave to show us that there's life to be had, right? There's life to be experienced. There's all of this that we can find in him. So it's finished, but it's not over because God is still working. He's continuing to work. He's continuing to pour himself out. We're part of what God is doing in the world as he looks at all of his creatures, everyone that he made in this world around us, and he looks at them with, with intentions of peace and reconciliation and forgiveness and love he looks at them and he transforms us and says, you're part of what I'm doing to send you out into the world with this peace and this reconciliation and this love. He's part of what God is doing in the midst of that. And see, it's so important that we get to where Paul was, where he talks about having been crucified with Christ um, and finding that in that, like, it's not me living anymore. It's Christ who lives. It's not just the, the death and resurrection of Jesus as an external thing. It's something that has to hit us in our hearts. It means we have to have an encounter and an experience with Jesus ourselves. And that is so important. And it doesn't matter if you've, like, if, if today's the first day you hear the name of Jesus spoken at all find that hard to, to believe, but if that was the case, or if you've been a Christian for thousands of years and you're just like living your whole life deep in this, regardless of where you're at on that spectrum, every single one of us needs to have these encounters with Jesus again and again and again, to see him afresh, to have our hearts uh, come alive with the truth of who he is. Soren Kierkegaard talks about how he says, when we look at people around us, we're often really afraid to overestimate people. We were afraid to think too highly of them. So if, if, we, if we meet and I see you and I think too highly of you, what's going to happen is I'm going to trust you. I'm going to befriend you. I'm going to give myself to you in a certain sense. And if I've overvalued you, then you're going to betray me and you're going to hurt me and I'm going to be left with my heart in pieces. So he says, we're often just so afraid of thinking too highly of other people because what if they let us down? But he says what we should actually be afraid of, and we should be terrified of this, is we should be afraid actually of the opposite. We should be afraid of thinking too lowly of people. So when we see people and we distrust and we don't like and we hold at arm's length, what if years later I discover that that person was actually made in God's image? was actually like a beautiful, delightful person in whom God is working, right? A person that God designed to be a certain way, a person in whom the Spirit of God dwells, right? Who, who can speak into my life, who can, who can um, follow in the love of God as it flows through them. What if I've looked at that person and I've undervalued who they are, and then I've cut myself off from all of the blessings that God would pour into my life through that person? And so he's saying, be terrified, not of thinking too highly of people, but be afraid of thinking too lowly of people. And my goodness, that's so true of us in the church. It's true of us in our society. I think we do that all the time. We especially do it online. But it's true of all of us. But I would say it's especially true when it comes to Jesus. We might be afraid of thinking a little too highly of him. We might be afraid of kind of like putting him a little bit too high in terms of how we're living or, or how we're going to frame our lives or what we think of him. We should be terrified of actually shooting too low and not seeing him in all of the glory that, that the whole, all the scriptures, all the New Testament writers, everyone for the last 2,000 years who's been changed by Jesus, we should be afraid of missing what all these people have seen in Jesus. And this is an opportunity for us again and again and again to come back to that place, regardless of how long we've been following, pursuing, thinking about Jesus, coming back to it and saying, 
I need to see him again. I need to see him fresh. I want to see him with clear eyes. I, I, uh, someone used this illustration, and I, I love it. It's, if you look at a map, okay, and, th- and think not just of a flat map, but think of a topographical map, okay, where it's got the ridges and the mountains and everything. So it, let's just say it's a map of Tahoe. And you can see all the, like, here's where the mountains are, here's where the lake is, here's all these streams. You can see it, and if you look at that map and you study it, you're actually getting accurate information of the mountains up at Tahoe, right? It's not lying to you. You're getting true information. But that is never a replacement for going up to Tahoe and hiking through those mountains and seeing the beautiful views and feeling the air on your face and seeing the wildlife and taking in the scene of this beautiful lake and these beautiful mountains, they both are conveying true information, but there's something different in knowing about it and studying the, the, uh, the map of it and actually experiencing and walking with it. I mean, I feel like our job as a church family is to come back together time and again, and each time we come back, we're reminding ourselves that, yes, the map is really good and it's accurate, but we need to be invited to step into the mountains. We need to be invited to go. We need to be invited to experience what it's actually life. What it's actually like to be in Jesus, to experience that life in him. That's what we need to experience, and we call each other into that. And so we come and we, we read from the word of God. We sing songs together. We talk about, we tell stories about what's happening. But at the end of the day, all of that is meant to be in service to us encountering Jesus. And in this case, as Paul is saying, it's taking this fact that Jesus died and rose again, and it's saying, Lord, hit my heart with that truth in such a way that I can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not me that lives anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. And he goes on to say, and the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Like that is the invitation that we're given to experience it the way that Paul actually experiences it. We have to be reminded, I think, ultimately of who we actually are. N.T. Wright tells this uh, story of Margaret Thatcher, um, who was the the prime minister of uh, the United Kingdom. I know because I watched The Crown um, when it was on. And... uh, (laughs) Um, so he tells this story. So Margaret Thatcher was going to these retirement homes and just doing what prime ministers do and just, you know, shaking hands, whatever. So she's going room to room at, with these people. And um, she goes into one room and, and she could tell that this woman, uh, like, had no idea who she was, right? Which has to be super awkward for a celebrity. I can't even imagine, you know, like, do, you, do I let them know what a big deal it is that they're talking to me? You know, like, that must be really tough. And um, so she's there with her and she's like, um, um, do you know who I am? And this sweet old lady looks back at her and says, no, dear, but I wouldn't worry about it. Just why don't you ask the nurse? She always seems to know. (laughs) And I love that. I love that because I I picture us, I picture us, um, you know, like I think we've gotten pretty fuzzy on who we are, to be honest. Like what does it mean for us to be Christians? And living in America, this cultural moment, I think we've gotten pretty darn fuzzy on what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay, so if, if, you're, if, you're in the, if you're in this circle over here, being a Christian means you hold Republican values and you vote for Republican candidates, right? Maybe if you're over here and there are some circles like this where being a Christian means holding democratic values and, and being really um, culturally sensitive and all these kinds of things. Um, maybe for a while, uh, in, well, I guess maybe in our area, being Christian looked like being r- super against vaccines. And if I hop onto Twitter, it looks like being super for vaccines, right? What does it mean to be a Christian? It just looks like all these different things. And I think we've gotten really fuzzy on what does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus in 2022 in America 
And I think we need to take a big step back, zoom out from all these things that we're told, all the cultural baggage that's come around it, all the attempts of the media and the world, and even like evangelical society has tried to define it for us, take a step back, take a deep breath, and say, okay, what does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus? And I propose that this is a pretty good definition of it. To be able to say, what does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus? It's that I believe that Jesus died for our sins, and I believe that he rose again. I believe he's giving me life. And then to say, not only that, not only do I believe that happened, but I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I'm now living in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Like, this is what Paul is saying and getting at, and you can see it's shaped the core of who he is. In the context, it's, it's, a, it's about um, this like religious achievement and this law-keeping that is like in, in the setting. And Paul's like, I can't do that anymore. I can't be what the religious community expects me to be. I can't maintain all these boundaries in the religious community like I'm expected to. And he's saying, I can't because I've been crucified with Christ. And I'm not even alive. It's, it's Christ who's living in me. He's finding this freedom and fulfillment in who Jesus is. And so I think the question for us is, do we even know who we are anymore? Have we gotten so confused, so lost in everything that everybody's been shouting at us? Could we just step back and say, Lord, who am I actually? And man, could we try on Paul's statement and find some hope and some healing in the midst of that? And I want to end here with the last phrase that Paul says in this verse. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And what does he say? Who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, these are maybe the most profound words in the universe. These are the words, this is the part of the gospel I have the hardest time believing. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me, okay? And obviously put yourself in that me, okay? Think of the face that you saw in the mirror this morning before coming here, right? The face that a few of you really love and that most of you are at least ambivalent about and some of you really hate, Who's that, who's that me that he's talking to? And Paul's just saying, look, um, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm living in him. He is the one who loved me and gave himself for me. It's one thing to believe that Jesus died for the world. It's one thing to believe that God loves the world. Um, it's a different thing to believe that God loves me and that he gave himself for me. But that is exactly what Paul is inviting us to consider. Jesus has no problem pouring himself out for us. I was reading this week, Lucy Pepiat says, um, she says, she saw in this account reading as Jesus is getting up to the crucifixion, and there's that part where the woman comes and she pours perfume at the feet of Jesus. And Judas is there. Judas is going to betray Jesus. Judas is there, and he sees this perfume poured out, and he's like, oh, what a waste that you would pour out all this perfume. But she says, you read a little further on, and what do we find? Jesus himself pouring out his own blood. And he sees no waste in that whatsoever. Why? He's pouring out his blood for us, but why does he see that as not a waste? Because he loves us. So he gave himself for us. Like this is the beautiful reminder that in everything that we do in our existence, all of our religious lives and all of our work lives and all of our home lives and all these things that we do, in all of it, before all of it, after all of it, above it all, beneath it all, is this deep, profound truth that God loves you and that Jesus gave himself for you. That is profoundly true. And it doesn't matter what anyone says about you. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It doesn't what you like or dislike about yourself. It doesn't matter what you think you need to have accomplished or not. It doesn't matter how anyone views you or if you're on the inside or outside of any group at all. The only thing that matters is simply this. Jesus 
died and is alive, and he loves you, and he gave himself for you. I, I wish that we could have that valuation of ourselves, to, to know, like, when God looks at us, he looks at us in so much love. I wish we could see ourselves, not, not as these, like, amazing, super lovable people, right, but as people that are just beloved by God. He loves us in spite of who we are, right? I know my flaws better than any of you know my flaws. You think, you think I've got flaws. You have no idea the real flaws that I actually have. And it's all there, and Jesus looks through that, sees all of it, and loves us, gave himself for us, wants to be with us. I, it is the most beautiful thing that we can imagine, and it's profoundly true. And I just love, love, love this verse because Paul's just saying, he's internalizing it. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not me who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. And this life that I'm now living, man, it's by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. It is so beautiful. I want to take you back here again to this crucial moment in my life. <clears throat> life wears us down, folks. Uh, life is disappointment, and my young self found it there. But I'll tell you what, when we threw away that big wheel, the wheels were ground down to a nub, okay? Because I rode the H out of that big wheel, okay? <clears throat> Heck is what, I, what that stands for. Um, <laughs> I did, man. And I, the whole thing is like I'm, you know, on the surface, I'm embarrassed to ride a, a, a Care Bears big wheel. But in reality, my heart was so, uh, so desperately desiring fun that I rode that thing into the ground. Man, it didn't matter. I didn't care. I just rode it, rode it, rode it, rode it. I found so much life and joy in that whole thing. And I wonder for us if we could get beyond all that and if we could really believe what Jesus says that it is finished. I hope for us, I don't know where you're at in your journey, but that there's a desire for life that goes so much deeper than the disappointments that you've had. Because life hasn't been there in the way that you want it to. I, I, I don't know all of you, but I know that that's true of each of us, right? And maybe the, maybe the hurts and the pains are like really fresh this morning. Uh, there's, there's some of you I know that it is very fresh for you this morning in particular. But this pain and this disappointment we feel, if there is enough life in there and a longing for that that we have, it pushes us past the disappointments and it pulls us into something. So may maybe this is what you can muster this Easter. Maybe there's enough life in you, a desire for life that you're like, I think there might be something there. I need something extra. And maybe it's enough to push you into reading the Gospel of John. Again, one more time. Give it another shot. See what Jesus is actually like. Walk through that journey with John as he tells the story of the good news of Jesus. Maybe there's enough yearning for life in you that you can say, yes, I'm going to dive into that. M maybe there's enough yearning for life in you that it'll pull you into um, praying again. Okay, even though, even though you've prayed a whole bunch of times in a lot of different ways for many different things and God just has not answered in the way that you hoped you would. Maybe that desire for life in you is enough to say, yeah, I'm going to speak to him again. And it doesn't have to be eloquent. I don't think it should actually be eloquent. It should be the cry of a raw heart to the Lord and saying, God, if you're there, um, help me to see that you're real, right? Help me to know. Like, help me, what do you think about the disappointments that I've felt and, and all these things? Like, just that conversation with God is an act of faith. And it's, a, it's the, the gropings of the life that is inside of us, the longing for more life that's inside of us that I think ultimately can be found in Jesus. And so maybe that's where we're at. Maybe that's what we reach out for. Because I'm telling you that the life in Jesus is there. So I'll tell you, my experience is the life in Jesus is there. I, I resonate with Paul. I've, I've been crucified with Christ. I've come to the end of myself. All the things that I pursued and wanted, like I, I, I feel like the Lord is helping me give those things up day by day and to find that when I let go of the things that I'm so desperately 
clawing to, right? All those things that we hold on to so tight, like if I give this up, then I lose my significance in life. If I don't climb a little bit higher on this ladder, then it was all for nothing, right? Um, If I lose this relationship, then everything falls apart. Whatever it is that we cling to so tightly, I promise you that if we can begin to let go of those things, what we find is that there is deeper life in all of it. And it doesn't look like happy life all the time. It doesn't look like everything will go great in our lives. But if we can let go, we'll find sometimes the things we were clinging to were the things that were killing us inside and were weighing us down. And so letting go and trusting that just like Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? If if we are in him, we find this life in him, we can find this life begin to flow through and bring life to things that we thought were dead. And so my encouragement, and and that's me, that's our church family here. There's so many people that have experienced life in Jesus. That, that's church history, okay? So go back 2,000 years. Everyone that's followed after Jesus has found this life in him. And so I'm not alone in saying that there's life in Jesus. Um, but I want to be the voice of just a little bit of hope this morning. That if you feel like you've lost that, maybe you've never found it at all. Maybe you had it once and you feel like it's distant. Maybe your heart is just so numb with apathy that you're like, I don't know if I can ever get back there. I want to give you just enough hope to make that, that reach out to God, that prayer to God that doesn't have to be profound, but just saying, meet me where I'm at, um, Lord, being honest with him. Our, our mission as a church is that we want to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. That's what we're about. That whole thing is about that. We're finding life in Jesus together, and we're going to invite as many people as we can to do that with us. To me, that is something sustainable. That's something I can be excited about. That's something I can find sustenance in, and it's just Finding life in Jesus, I believe it's there, and I'm going to find it with all of you. And so the invitation for us this morning, we're going to, we're going to sing a couple more songs. I'm going to invite the band to come on up, and um, as we do, um, I just want to prepare us to um, have an encounter with Jesus um, right now. And, and maybe the Lord's been nudging you, um, and, and look, maybe you came in this morning, and you're like, your heart's on fire, and you've never loved Jesus more. That is so great. I am so happy for you. Um, that was honestly me coming in here this morning. Um, but I want to I give some space for all of us, whether that's how you feel or whether you're feeling very distant, just some space. Easter is like a whole cultural thing, and there's, um, there's great food out there, there's coffee out there, there's all this interaction that we'll have. But I want to give us a space. Before we even sing more words to the Lord, I want to give us a moment to just talk to him. And so whatever, whatever you can muster, whatever you want to say to him, I just want to give you a second. So maybe if you just close your eyes for a minute here. And I just want to picture, you, picture yourself down on your knees with the weight of whatever is on your shoulders, whatever is on your back. Maybe it's the guilt that you feel for something that has been happening, ha- happened in the past or has been happening even now. Maybe it's the sense of inadequacy you feel in, in certain relationships or maybe across the board. Maybe it's like a deep, urgent need that has not been met. Whatever that weight is, I want to picture, I want you to picture yourself just crawling to the foot of that cross. You see Jesus hanging there and him saying the words, it is finished. And I want, to pick, I want you to picture yourself, Jesus saying, it is finished. I want you to picture yourself taking all that stuff that's pouring down weighing down your shoulders and your back and just shove it at the feet of Jesus. And I just want you to ask the Lord this simple question. Lord, what do you have have to say to me right now? What do you want me to believe and to see 
right now. Just ask him that question and we'll take a minute of silence here. Lord, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you that on Easter we can celebrate the fact that you love us deeply, that you gave yourself for us. And the fact that you rose again, came alive again, proving that death has no sting, that the grave has no power, that there's nothing that can hold us back from who you are. Lord, I pray that you would work and move in our hearts. I pray that we would believe you when you say that it is finished. I pray that we would believe you when, we, when you say that we are loved. I pray that we would respond to the invitation you give to be your children, to be held by you, to be crucified with you and raised to new life with you. Lord, may that be true of us this morning. And may you be honored in our words that we sing to you right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.